Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Hey, um, we have a lot going on, which is crazy because we officially haven't launched, but it's always interesting how it gets busy and it's a good busy. And so we want to keep you informed. Just so you know, if you want to utilize the app, uh, which has all the events on there, it has a sermon, one touch, watch sermons, and then also the worship songs are on there. So you can actually sing the songs and know the words. You don't have to make them up as you go as we sing. Uh, and also you can take notes on your app. So there's the ability to do that if you want to keep things and not lose. If you're like me, where anything's on paper and it's gone within a few hours, you can go. There's a um, step-by-step process on our website of how to download the app. But it's Tithely, T-I-T-H dot L-Y. Actually, there's an E there, right? T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Uh, and then you type that in, in, in your apps with church, Tithely Church, and then you're going to search our church and it'll give you the app and you'll click on that and you'll have it downloaded. And so just want to give you a heads up with that, a great thing to utilize, um, in a lot of different ways, especially keeping up on events. Here's what we got going on last week. We had a great, super fun time, not just because we had great pizza, but Hey, we had three baptisms, great time of celebration. That's a, your cue to clap. you got, that's your cue because we don't have a clapping track yet. We don't have that much technology. Eventually we'll have that. So it sounds like we're just like this crazy crowd, but uh, so you are that. Um, So we had a great time and that's inspired a few more people to get baptized. So in two weeks, we're going to do another pizza and baptism. We're going to bring out the horse trough, which really makes you dedicated to follow Jesus. And uh, we're going to be baptizing for sure. We got Rowan and he's here today. Rowan, we're going to baptize you in a few weeks. And I know, yeah, super excited about that. And I know there's a few other people that are praying and thinking about it. And so we always want to celebrate that, uh, of that commitment to Jesus. And so that's happening in a few weeks. Next week, though, we're going to have a little fall festival action. And so um, we're going to have a lot of children's games, right, Laura Lee? We have little pumpkins. We're going to do all kinds of games with pumpkins. We're attempting. You can pray for us. Pray for Andrew. We're attempting to try to get football up on the big screen inside. So those that don't want to play games, we can watch football. And so we're going to shoot for that. So maybe some football, some games, and uh, and some food. I think, is it bring your own everything? Is that what we're doing? Church is providing popcorn and water. Everything else is up to you. So if you want to bring food, you can have it ordered and delivered here, or you can go get it real quick. There's some restaurants around here. But next week, we're hanging out and uh, kick off the fall. It is officially fall, even though it doesn't feel like it. It is officially fall, so just so you know. And uh, so that's next week. And then also, we have three more weeks. Those of you in connection groups, those home groups, we have three more weeks. Eight weeks is going by quickly. We've had a great time. And some of you are wondering, what are we doing afterwards? Are we taking a huge break? Well, you have the option. We're going to offer a Thursday night Bible study. It's going to be a little different where we're going to discuss the sermon, but we're actually going to pick a book in the Bible, and we're going to teach you how to study the Bible, but also we're actually going to discuss what you learn out of your Bible study. So signups will be happening soon. So it'll be a little bit different than connection groups. But if you want something more where you haven't digged into the word on your own and you we're still discussing the sermon, we'll probably offer one group. And if we have more people, then we'll figure it out. But um, signups will be happening soon. So that'll be a little bit of an extension uh, past our normal connection groups. And we'll take a break during Christmas. So that's all the stuff going on. I want to give you a sneak peek on something. Andrew Covley. Give Andrew Covley a hand, everybody. Andrew, you got a bigger hand than our baptism, so that's a pretty big deal. They're, they're excited that you're coming up here. I don't know if this is all going to be on video, 
So uh, come on this side of me. Yeah, yeah. So Andrew here, you guys have been working hard. He he runs a, a it's like is it more, printing or is it more than that? Design, printing. This dude's creative, all right? He's a creative guy. He runs his own company, and um, he's blessed us with helping our church, uh, helping our church um, with all our signs and things like that. And with the relaunch, we've changed some colors, we've changed some things. Here's a sneak peek, and I need some oohs and ahs. So if you're not impressed, you need to act like it, all right? One of the things that you'll learn about Axis is just be fake, okay? Be fake, all right? We'll down with that, all right? And so here we go. This is our new color in one of our signs. Oh, wow. Our church is good at being fake. We're really good. <laughs> Say what? Yeah, that's our new, our church name is there. It's going to be the handicap. We're a handicap church. Yeah, so. Broke, yeah, so uh, this sign just came in, and there's going to be more signs. These will be on the roads. We have some huge, like, big, like, flags coming. So. Thank this guy. We appreciate your work. And so that's coming soon. We're going to look legit. I wonder what that's going to be like to be a legit chair. That'll be fun. Or actually, everyone signs and stuff like that. Hey, uh, we are continuing our um, series. Uh, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but we're going through the book of John. We felt like as a season, as a church, we wanted to, we're calling it up close and personal. That we really wanted to focus with all the craziness, everything going on in life. What if we just focused on Jesus, who he was, what he did, and uh, what his desires are for us? And John was his best friend. So if he knows anything about Jesus, it's going to be John. And so we get to read a book that was written by the best friend of Jesus. We're going to continue that. So if you want to click on Bible or if you want to open your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 2. I'm going to pray. It gives you some time. And then we are going to jump into this thing. Jesus, thank you so much. Um, again, you just, you're so open and honest. You reveal everything about yourself. You don't want things to be a mystery that don't need to be. And you want to give us clarity as far as who we are, how we're designed, what our purpose is, how to do life, and how to really do it successfully. Like, there's all these self-help books in the world, and it's funny that the greatest one was written. As far as the greatest thing to help yourself is to serve Christ, to know Christ. And so I pray that would happen today. Jesus, I pray that our love for you, our love for each other would grow from this. And God, I pray that we could just know you more and our love for you would grow. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As, uh, as we jump into this, uh, I want to remind us that, that John, when he wrote this book, he said that... If we were to tell all the stories about Jesus, everything he said and did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. Like we're just getting this Instagram kind of little shot of who Jesus is. There's so much more there. And so what John did is he kind of did a best of. And so what we're reading, just so you know, every word that's written, any biography of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, every word is intentional as far as this is the most important thing for you to know. I had a bunch of things to say. This is the most important thing. And so that's why we're kind of going sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, because these are important words. So far, here's where we've been. John started off saying, listen, my best friend, I need you to know that I, I hung out with this guy. And what I need you to know is that he's fully divine, but he's also fully human. And that's important. So our first week, a few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, which some of you might be like, 
Like, who cares? How is that going to impact my life? Listen to the sermon. It's really important that we understand that he's fully human and he's fully divine. And so John said that this is who Jesus is. And then we see that immediately the first thing that Jesus does is that he's a relational God. One of the first thing he does is he gathers disciples. And God's desire is not only to know us, but to disciple us, which means to change us. That he's getting to know you, not because you have everything together. He's getting to know you because you need help. Every single one of us. And I know we look around today, we're like, but Brian, look at this crowd. Like, if you look around, like, these people have it together. The hair looks good. Some of us are semi-decently dressed, right? I mean, the cars we drive, we put on this persona, we got it together. And what Jesus says is none of us have anything together. And that's why he wants to gather us. And that's the first thing that Jesus does. He's a relational God. He doesn't want to be distant from you. He doesn't want to be mysterious to you. He wants to be known and he wants to know you. And then we see last week his first miracle. Some of us got pretty excited. We're like, whoa, our God changes water to wine. Yes. He got the party going. The party was dying off last week. And he's like, let's get this party going. And he saved the best for last. And he made incredible wine. Which, and we talked about the miracle and why that was an important miracle, his first miracle. But now the spotlight begins to shine. So you see, Jesus is doing these things in these small towns. It would be like if he was doing in this area, he's kind of doing these, these out in uh, the desert. He's doing it out in Palmdale. He's doing it out in Awanga. Not a lot of spotlight out there, but he's, he's out there doing these things, but he's not really known, right? Like none of us know who's popping in Awanga. None of us know and none of us really care, right? It's out there, but we know about it, but we really don't know a lot about it. Well, now Jesus is moving a little bit into the Temecula Murrieta area, into South Riverside, and he's going to be known more. How does God act when the spotlight's on him? What happens when people begin to praise, when people begin to see things? And so look at what John writes about Jesus when the spotlight comes on him. John chapter 2, verse 13. It says this. This is what John writes. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Just so you know, this happens three times, Passover. It happens three times in the biography of Jesus. That's why we know Jesus ministered for three years. Some of you wonder, like, how do we know Jesus only ministered for three years? Because we have three Passovers that we see that Jesus was a part of uh, before he would die actually on Passover and rise again. Now, this is significant because, just real quickly, Passover is when Jews uh, from all over the known world at that time, they would come to Jerusalem. It's kind of like the, uh, what's it called here, the Wine and Balloon Festival? Have you been a part of that, the Wine and Balloon Festival here? If you don't know when that happens, it's when all our roads get even packed more than normal Roads are shut down. Hotel rooms literally in this area are all booked. You can't get a hotel room, Airbnb. Why? Because it's a party going on and I've never been there. So, you know, I'm assuming there's air balloons and wine. That's what they're doing. So that must be exciting to some people. So it just gets packed here. That's how it was back then. Jerusalem would like 10 times the amount of people would go in there and it would just go to millions of people. So it's a huge party, but it's also a huge time for the Jewish people to remember where they came from. The Passover remembers the Exodus. So it points back to the Old Testament when uh, God judged the nation and judged people uh, by an angel of death said would go over and would kill the firstborn of anyone who didn't have the blood of a lamb over the doorpost. So the Jewish people put that and when this angel of death came, it saved the firstborn, which would point to Jesus as the firstborn. So it was this big, significant religious event. It was a celebration. It reminded them of the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. 
And this is the coming out party for Jesus because he's been in a wanga, but now he's at the wine and balloon festival and it's about to go down. What's God going to do when the spotlight's on, right? How's he going to get people to worship him and to love him? Well, he does it in a very interesting way. Here we go. Verse 14. It's Jewish Passover. The party's going. Music's going. The wine's flowing. People are there. Everybody knows what's going on, and this is what Jesus does. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. This does not strike you as something that God would want to do when there's a party going on, right? He made a whip out of cords and drove all of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, here's the thing when we think about Jesus. When he overturned the tables, some of us, it's like because Jesus is loving, he's merciful. We think of it like he just kind of like, like, stop it, right? <laughs> he kind of just moved the tables. When you make a whip out of cords, you're not just like moving tables. There's a ferocity here. And so, and he's not whipping people, just so you know. He's not going around beating people, but what he's doing is he's using this and he's clearing things out and he's kicking things over. And he's, a, I mean, he's just going, it's big. He's causing an issue with people. And why? Because this was their livelihood. So what would happen is because everybody was coming all over the world, they'd have to exchange money or they'd bring animals to get money or they'd have money and they need to get animals to sacrifice. This is a huge time where they would all sacrifice remembering that something or someone has to pay the penalty for their sin. In the Old Testament, it was an animal pointing to Jesus who would ultimately pay for our sin. So this is what they were being reminded of. But what Jesus saw in church was it was about two things. One is about money, not about God. That became the big thing. And the second thing that he noticed is that people were being taken advantage of because they knew that they could do that. They knew they were desperate. People were desperate um, to get a sacrifice. They would overcharge them. So that's why he was so angry. And he says that to those who sold the doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Don't make church about appearance. Don't make church about money. Don't make church about anything other than God. This is really important because the, the church today we really are, especially the American church, I'd say, in an identity crisis, right? What is church? Have you ever asked the question or wondered, what is church for? You have some church saying, well, it's for people that don't know God. And then other people are saying, it's for people that do know God. And where do we kind of fall in that? And, and what we see in the Bible is that the church primary, primarily is to encourage and equip believers. There's a primary purpose there, but there needs to be awareness of people that don't know God. And so we're aware because we want to draw people in, but primarily this is a training ground. And when the church misses its purpose statement, it frustrates God because it's about honoring and worshiping God. He says, stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that is written in the Old Testament, zeal for your house will consume me. And what we see here is that Jesus, the church is precious to him, that he cares about the church. He cares about the church. This is interesting that one of the first things that Jesus does is he purifies the church. He gathers disciples and he purifies the church. We see this in Revelation. A lot of times people think Revelation is about all the end time stuff, like what's going to happen and when's Jesus coming, all that kind of stuff. Revelation is just about the revelation of Jesus. And you know how Revelation starts off? 
not judging the world, but judging the church. Which is very interesting because we love to judge the world. Media is bad. The government's bad. This is bad. The schools are bad. They're taking God. That, and what happens is, I think God says, stop focusing on judging the world. You're supposed to love them. But if you're going to judge, why don't you judge yourselves first? Right? The pandemic and this and all that and that. And to me, this pandemic has purified the church. Well, we have to go back and say, what are we about? And so God, one of the first things he wants to do is he says, listen, I love the church. In fact, look at the intimate language of how the Bible describes how Jesus views the church. Ephesians 5.27 is talking about husbands and wives. And look at how he compares it. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing by washing her with water through the word and to present to her and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, Jesus views the church as a husband should view their wife with intimacy and love and sacrificial um, you know, service and things like that. That's how he views the church. Jesus loves the church like a bride. In fact, a lot of times the Bible has talked about that Jesus views it as, as two people that are um, engaged. You know that excitement? We have a few people in our church that are engaged. It's an exciting time, right? You just can't wait. Like, I can't wait to be with you and see you and hang out with you and not have to drive home, right? And, and to be together and all that kind of stuff. And, he's, and this, is, says, this is Jesus longing that the reason he longs for heaven is there's a uniting of his church in him. Like he's super stoked. You might not be super, you might be like, well, I kind of like, you know, here on earth. He can't wait for heaven. It's a uniting of the bride and the groom. That's how he views it. This is why this is important for us. A, a few things is, one is it's important for us as far as if a church is to be blessed by God, it's not going to be by the stature of their money and their programs and their building. It's going to be by the purity of their heart to honor him, making sure that their house is about the Father. And this is for us. And I'm not saying we're doing it perfectly. I'm saying we got to keep that in mind. Programs don't dominate. It's how... How are we honoring God and worshiping God? Just so you know how this influences us, like when it comes to connection groups, we're not thinking how do we maintain connection groups. Our whole thing is how do we disciple our church to be more like Jesus? So that might look different during different seasons. We might ask you to do different things because we feel like we need to work on this as a church. We need to work on this as a church as far as being the bride that God wants us to be, preparing ourselves. That's what this life is, preparing ourselves to meet the groom to be with him. There's that sense of anticipation. And it says that God is, that his desire is to wash us, to make us holy and to give up himself for her so that we can be holy and not blameless. And this is important because there's a battle that we have. There's a battle that we have as far as making sure that um, we're not cynical towards the church, especially for some of us that have been Christians for a while and get cynical, right? And what's important is to remember that the church is like God's fiance about to be married. And be careful how you speak about the fiance. Not that you can't be critical. We, we need to critique things as far as, hey, this needs to change. That needs to, hey, watch out there. Hey, there's some sin there. But there's a difference between being critical and cynical. We, we see that in our society today. Like we see that especially politically. There's a difference between critiquing the United States. Are there things we should be better at? Is there, are there things in our past that we should be better at? 100%. It's okay to be critical, but you, when you become cynical, 
that's when you begin then to disengage as far as a love for or a thankfulness for. It's the same thing with the church. That's why some people are like, well, I love God, but I just don't love the church and want to go. Well, the problem is that's like saying, hey, Brian, I want to hang out with you. You're a cool dude. Wanna be, but I just want you. I don't want your wife. And then you start listing off a few things what you don't like about my wife. What do you think my reaction to you is going to be? Violence. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yep. That's why I trained jiu-jitsu. So I can be ready for that moment where you rip on my wife, you rip on my wife, and I will real naked choke hold you. Right? I'll just go at it. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you say about me if you rip on her. Uh-uh. Nope. So that's where with the church, and I'm not even talking like access. I'm talking the church in general. Well, this is what's wrong with the church and blah, blah, blah. And we start, and then we go from critical to cynical. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's the, think about it. That's the girlfriend, the fiance of the hubby. Be careful there. And so we want to honor the church. We can critique the church, but in a loving way, as far as making sure that we're um, part of the process of making it better. Let me show you something as far as the, the, the God's zeal for the church. What does God desire for the church? Um, he says it later in John, John chapter 17. Check this out. Jesus has a two-chapter prayer that's a super long prayer. And look at what he prays for the future church. This is what he says in John 17, 20 through 26. This is what I mean by as far as his desire and zeal for the church. My prayer is not for them alone, he says. I also pray for all those who will believe in me through the message of the apostles, that all of them may be one. He's praying for the church right now, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God's desire for the church is that we are so unified together that we love each other so much that it looks like the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The desires of the church should reflect the love that God has for, in a sense, himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we're so unified, we're so in love, we're so one in purpose, that there's no division here, there's no cynicism here. That the small issues we let go of and we hold on to the big issues that we look like God so much that the world is drawn to that. It's not drawn because we do free things here or things there. We do a, a dance, you know, and for him trying to impress. And we're not here to impress. We're here to impact. How do we impact the world? By loving just like God and being unified that when they show up to a group, they show up to a connection group and that they don't believe in God or they don't know God, that they see the way a connection group interacts and shows grace and forgives each other and is patient and is loving and serves one another. They're like, I want that kind of love. Well, that love comes from God. And so he's saying that this is his passion for the church that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. God's passion for the church is that we're unified. This is why you're so frustrated with this church is there's disunity. There's the rich and there's the poor. There's people be, uh, being taken advantage of and they weren't loving each other. They're actually taking advantage of each other. It's important for us. As we look at Jesus, that we understand that our job is never to take advantage of one another, never to, to be cynical of one another, even if we're critical, but to be unified, to love one another, and that this pleases God, and that this is the key way as far as knowing if we're honoring God. So Jesus came, and we see that one of the first things he does is he purifies the church, saying church is important because the church is something that God is passionate 
about. In fact, I would say this, the church is the main way that God uses himself to show the world of his love. So if the church is broken down, then society is going to be broken down. When the church is strong, then it strengthens society. This is why we gather, whether it's Sunday, whether it's during the week, and this is why we do it no matter if we're tired, no matter if things aren't going well, no matter, we, we do that, why? Because we realize that God works through that, and as we gather, we exemplify him so that the world can know his love. So Jesus does this, and then the, the Jewish people, some of the leaders are very frustrated with them. And so in verse 18, we see that the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them cryptically, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They thought he was talking about the temple. He's talking about himself as the temple. And they replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said and they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus has spoken. Now we go to verse 23. This is an interesting thing here where it says, now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Very interesting here. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. If you have a pen or pencil, circle and trust. Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. That word entrust is the same thing that God, uh, that um, John uses in John 3.16, right? Uh, that Jesus sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him, that means entrust themselves to him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. What he's talking about there, it's not that we don't ever trust people, but what Jesus understood is that he couldn't fully serve God the Father if he was trying to entrust himself to people as far as whether they liked him, whether they approved of him, and what they wanted to do for him. Does that make sense? And so that word entrust means to be given to. Jesus, though he served people, he's never owned by people. And that was important because if he was going to accomplish the will of God, he must be a servant to people but not be enslaved to them. This is why some of us sometimes struggle as far as we serve people, but sometimes we cross a line and then we're owned by them. They dictate our schedule. They dictate our priorities. They dictate our passions. And what happens is, is we kind of lose that as far as entrusting ourselves to God and we entrust ourselves to other people. And what the Bible is showing us, what Jesus is showing us is, listen, to be successful, to be the person that God wants us to be, to be successful in the ministry that God has for you. And do you realize that each one of you, God has an assignment for you. God has a, a path for you, whether it's in your family, outside of your family. For us to fulfill that, here's the obstacle for many of us, is that sometimes we're entrusting ourselves to people rather than to God. So what God says is, listen, never give yourselves to any person. And why? The Bible says because he knew it was in their hearts. Whether it's just evil or he knew it in their hearts as far as they're incapable of truly giving us worth and value and priorities. And so it's dangerous as we serve people to then almost entrust ourselves to them as far as do you approve of me? Or do you like me? Am I doing okay? What do you desire for me? The Bible says never go that far as we serve people and as we love people. If you think about that, it's hard for us because our whole world, what most of us have grown up in is, is entrust yourselves to people. Entrust yourselves to the government. Trust yourselves to education. 
Entrust yourself to that special someone that'll, what do all the songs say? You'll never let me down. You'll never break my heart. You are my, right? You listen to the radio. They're pretty much worship songs for other people. That's all it is. And so what's hard for us is we've grown up and it's all been about you're looking for salvation. You're looking for someone to give you worth, to give you value. So whether it's in love with someone or whether it's in, you know, the government or maybe for some of us is entrusting, you know, to our parents, even to our spouses. We trust them, but I don't entrust my salvation, my worth, my perspective from that because all of our hearts can go awry. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, he says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I can't be a servant of Christ if I'm entrusted to other people. I saw this in a, I see this in a dramatic way a lot of times, um, but I see where it's a real obstacle for us as far as really being able to be everything that God desires for to be. Um, this was several years ago, but I was in a small group uh, with a couple and um, they just had a hard time fully engaging, I'd say in their walk with God, but also with church. So this guy was uh, an executive, he was a financial, um, I don't know if he's an analyst or something for a very large company, but um, he kept kind of missing attendance on church and group and things like that. And so he, but every time he showed up, he's like, I want to follow God. I want to go a lot. Have you ever been there? We're like, I have this desire, but I have very little follow through. <laughs> I have good intentions, but I have poor execution. <laughs> he was in that phase. And so we were talking one time in group and I just said, hey, can I be honest with you? Which if anybody says that, be careful of your answer, just so you know. And if I ever ask you that, be ready. It's coming. You can say no. That's fine. I'll keep it to myself. I said, can I be honest with you? He's like, sure. I said, you will always struggle in your walk with God when who runs your life is your boss at work. He goes, what do you mean? I said, every time you make an excuse of, well, they wanted me to work like they wanted me to work like, I go, did they really, did they demand it or they just wanted it? Is it that there's always just more work and if you're going to give in, they're going to give it, you know? I said, would you get fired if you said, no, I'm going to Bible study? No. I said, then what's the issue? What's the issue saying, I'm out. That's it. 4.30, I got to get home. I got to... And it was really interesting to see where that he thought that it was one of the things he had no choice. He did have a choice. And here's what his choice was. He would rather be enslaved to the dollar and to the boss and to the opportunity of moving up, which was his true desire. So through this, as we discussed it, his true desire was, I want to move up in a company. I don't know if I want to move up with God. And here's a scary thing with that is I asked that question. This is why questions are dangerous. I kept asking questions and I could tell he was getting frustrated. And I said, bro, I'm going to leave it at this. And if it's of God, you pray about it and think about it. I go, you're, you, the person you fear most is not God in life. It's your boss. And here's the thing about when you trust someone. When you trust someone, you say, you set my priorities, you set my agenda, and they're setting your agenda. You're enslaved. And it's a choice you're not forced to. It was interesting to see him wrestle with that. And the, the reality is that as far as I know, the years I was there, they slowly stopped going to church. They slowly, And I think he came to a conclusion of, that is my greatest desire. My desire is to move up not with man, not to move up with God. But at least he knows that's a choice. Now we can all do this in different capacities. Some of us can be enslaved. And let me, here's some questions for you. If you want to write this down and think about this, how do I know if I'm entrusted or who am I entrusted to? Here's some questions. I, got, I thought of three. Who brings me the most joy and fear in life? Who brings me the most joy and fear in life? 
you're entrusted to them. This is where sometimes I speak to spouses if they're married to someone that's maybe not a believer. And the difficulty as far as like, well, I don't want you going to church. or I don't want you. There's a line there where it's like, wait a second. Who do I fear more? What they say or what God says? And we all have these lines, right? Whether it's at work and they want you to compromise on certain things. Who do I fear more? And so the fear plays into it. That's why the Bible says that to fear God, not to fear man, but also who brings me the most joy? Where do I find the most joy? That's who I'm entrusted to. So there's that emotional part. Here's another question is who shapes my perspective of reality and truth? Who shapes my perspective of reality and truth? This is important as far as do I allow God, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. Do I allow God to truly influence my perspective of what reality is? Because the world's trying to frame what reality is as far as what's really important. Let me give you an example. What the world would say is when you raise kids, you better make sure that A, they never hurt, and B, they have the best education or there'll be a failure in life. That's dominant in our world right? Make sure they have the best education and make sure that they're, they never go through any pain. You see that in parenting magazine, you see on the website, you see in our society, like that's the two dominating things where Jesus has the reality of, no, your greatest thing is that they know Jesus. That's your greatest thing. If they're poor, if they're not educated, whatever these things are, that the greatest priority reality is if they don't know Jesus, their lives are for naught. That changes the way you parent them. That changes. Do you celebrate when they forgive their brother and sister the same way you celebrate a 4.0? I've seen parents buy hundreds and hundreds of dollars for their kids to get a 4.0, but they don't celebrate when their kid shows grace, mercy, gets baptized. And here's the thing. Your kids know your priority by what you celebrate and what you discipline. They know what you're about. Are you really about God? Are you really about something else? I don't want to go too deep. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I actually do. So I'm okay with that. Does he, does he, inf- here's what I'm saying is who do you entrust your kids to? Who do you entrust your life to? Who do you entrust your money to? That God actually has truth that he wants to speak into every one of those things. That's why we're looking at the words of Jesus. So who brings me the most joy and fear in life? Who shapes my perspective, reality, and truth? And here's the third question. Who sets my daily and relational priorities? Who sets my daily and relational priorities? Jesus got tested early on in his life. The desires that God the Father had for him is he wanted to go and he wanted to purify the church, saying make the church that's a place of worship, unifying the church. But people wanted him to be nice and play nice and don't kick over tables and just let us keep doing this. Just let us get away with it. Who sets your priorities relationally, but also who sets them as far as just in life? as far as what life is about. Because there'll be people that push against, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that for God. You shouldn't set that. And they'll push against it. What the Bible says, listen, we want to serve people, but I don't entrust my schedule, my time, my priorities of what's important in life. 
I was thinking about this as far as how this has happened in our church, not this church, but a previous church I worked at. Um, I love outreach. I, I, lo- I love hanging out with people that don't know Jesus. I, ho- I hope you, I, I love it. And I hope we never get old and crusty where it's like, well, I've changed and now I don't use certain words and I dress a certain way and I don't act because you're going to lose a love for the world. You've forgotten where you come from. I love it. I love the awkwardness, the dirtiness, all that kind of stuff. Because why? Because I'm hopeful. Because that's where I was. And, I, and the whole time, I'm just like, no matter what we're doing, in my mind, I'm like, you need Jesus. I don't say it because I don't want to freak him out. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, you just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. They're talking about their problems. They're talking about their addictions. They're talking about their relational issues. They're doing all this kind of language stuff. I'm just like, oh, you just need Jesus. And so I'm trying to connect with them. What's the priority of the church? Is that they see the love of God. We sing that song, um, a reckless love, right? And what's interesting is we love to sing it, but we don't like to live it. Reckless. I'll do anything. I'll spend any amount of money. I'll go to any. I'll go anywhere to hang out with someone to be able to bring them to Jesus. I think that's awesome. What a privilege, right? So, at the time, we planted this previous church called Crosspoint, and I had to work two jobs. So I was worked at a restaurant, which I loved. I was a waiter. If you want to work in a dark place, if you want to be around people that are like whoa, you are far from God, you need to work at a restaurant. Drugs, sex, rock and roll, all of it. I was surrounded and I loved it. Because when you live as a Christian, I didn't have to say anything. Just living as a Christian, living with joy, literally showing up and being stoked that I know Jesus, they'd be like, what's wrong with you, dude? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> and I'd tell them, I'm just like, man, I'm pumped. God's good. Just simple things like that. They're like, what the heck? Not preaching, not giving Bible, not acting weird. We freak him out. Well, it says in Deuteronomy that, you know, and they're like, well, you just said Deuteronomy. I don't know what you're talking about, right? Just speak normal. There is two girls there full on in the lifestyle, lesbians, living together, parting it up, having a good time, living the life, enjoying their life, but they saw something in my life. And then we get in these debates of like, oh, you don't like us, huh? And they try to freak me out. Like they tell me stories or they tell me about their life. And I just be like, ah. God loves you. Ah, man, look at the tattoos we have and look at the things that we do. And I'm like, yeah. I go, God's chasing you down. They go, how do you know? I go, because I'm here. That freaks them out. I go, listen, if you're around a Christian, God's chasing you down. I go, it's just a matter of time. He'll wear you down. So they come to church. I'm super stoked, super pumped. I'm like, yes, I'm preaching. So I know the message isn't going to be like on finances, you know, where it's weird. Have you ever invited someone? You're like, please don't say anything weird, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm in control of this. I can't mess this up. But I was super pumped they wanted to come to church. They're there, front row. Now, remember, all they know is of the world. They don't know church. They're used to nightclubs and things like that. So they're a little affectionate in the front row. But they don't know Jesus. And it's like, man, if he captures their hearts. I was so pumped. Get done with church. They leave. They're like, ah, oh, we had a great time. I'm like, yes. What do you think I heard from Christians? church are you freaking kidding me well what if my kids see them kissing then you might want to sit them down and tell them about how we all need jesus well what about them living together well what about the heterosexual couples living together we laugh about that on comedies it's the same sin as this over here so you don't judge that you laugh and ah and over here you're like i'm mortified i think there's a little hypocrisy going on there the thing that bothered me is that I had several people 
and they missed the gospel that was presented and the desire for them to know Jesus and all they could talk about is, are we going to allow them to hold hands? Here's one of my big choices. We have a big giver at that church. Probably one of the top three. We're a small church. We need them badly. <laughs> I don't know if I can be at a church that's going to allow that. So I had a choice. And I'll be honest, I went home that night and I'm like, this sucks. And this is the passage. This is where a Bible verse can really, if some of you are like, why should I get in the word of God? Because if you're inept in the word of God, you will, be, you will not be strengthened for the life that God has for you. You won't have any strength. The word of God gives you strength. And this passage here, where Jesus looked at people saying, this is not my house. And if I lose you, and here's the thing, when the spotlight came on Jesus, he's willing to lose people because what he's looking for are people that earnestly and honestly want to seek God, not ones playing religion. And so he has no problem pruning the bush. We don't want the bush. Like, oh, we want people here. We want more. And yeah, we want to reach people, but God at times will prune saying, no, no, no. Who's really bearing fruit and who's here just because it's church and they like it and it's whatever. So I emailed the guy and just said, hey, I appreciate what you shared, but there might be another church that's better for you. These are the people we're trying to reach, and I said some other words, too, that I don't regret. And what was neat is it created a conversation. I said, I'd love to meet with you. And just, you know, I wasn't mean, but I said, I'd love to meet you and talk more, but I need you to know my heart, and I'd miss you. But this is what the church is all about. We can't miss this. Because if we say this sin is bothering me, what other sins then? It's never going to be no one can come to church because every sin is going to offend someone. It was neat to be able to meet with lunch with this couple and walk them through the gospel. They've been going to church for, I want to say, 30, 40 years, you guys. In their 60s, I walked them through the gospel, and it was like they gave their life to Christ 30 to 40 years into it. They missed it. And what was great is they're still a part of that church today, seeing it grow, seeing it flourish, because we had someone had to stand up saying, this is the church and I'm willing to lose it. You will have times to stand up in life or to stay seated. That will show you who you're entrusted to. Is it to people or is it to God? And I want to encourage you this, never compromise what God has entrusted to you because that might be what actually changes people by them seeing what you stand up for rather than staying quiet. John chapter 2, what John wants to show us is, listen, Jesus loves his church, you guys. We can critique some things, but never become cynical. Love the church. And I'm not talking about access. I'm talking about all churches. Be careful about how we speak about the church. It's his bride. The second thing is this. Be careful who you entrust your priorities to, your passion to. Yes, people can have a voice into your life, but make sure the main voice is the voice of God. Because sometimes that'll contradict the voices going on around you. And this is the way for you to fulfill the will of God in your life. By entrusting yourself to God, not to man. We are to serve people, but we are never to be owned by them. Worship team is going to come up now. We have a, a few songs to reflect on. Here's one I want to encourage you guys is this. When we take communion today, there's a sense of entrusting ourselves to God. This is what they did at the Passover. They remembered the blood of the animals that were spilled to represent the payment of their own sins. And that's what we do today. Today is about entrusting ourselves 
to a Savior who died for us, but also who rose again to show us how to live. So maybe today's a rededication for us to entrust ourselves to make sure that his voice is the voice above all other people. The voice that sets our priorities, the voice that gives us joy, the voice that we fear the most, the voice that gives us perspective, the voice that gives us truth. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.